0: My name is Howard Boats and welcome back to the 24th Sunday after Pentecost or All Saints Sunday for the week of November 7th 2021 and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast and I'm excited that we are in the second of this what I think of absolute marathon of these texts having Last week, Reformation Sunday for some of us, and then not for others. And again, this week, having All Saints for some, and then having the 24th Sunday after Pentecost for others. It's a marathon for me. Having 10 different texts to go through, it makes it really interesting challenge to be able to bring you to this and I noticed for me right now I am not feeling a hundred percent I'm feeling like there's a little bit of a bug or something I'm fighting through which makes it all the more fun to be able to bring you this and a little bit more of a challenge but here we are we're going to work through this we're going to get into this for this week but before we do we have to look at last week's twitter question which the tour question was for last week, how are you challenging your faith right now so it can grow? And it's interesting, the responses we got back, one of them was talking about how children continue to challenge our faith in good ways, asking those questions, bringing up those different concerns, making us think critically. And I think that's in a lot of ways where we're at in society, is we need to be able to listen to each other and to hear the different things and then be able to challenge some of our own held beliefs to be able to help us grow and I think one of the ways and things that I was thinking about as I was talking with someone this last week was talking about how childlike exuberance and childlike energy is contagious and they bring a lot of fresh and new ideas to a lot of conversations and the question that I then kind of formed out of that was is that what the church is needing right now? is this where the church is needing to go is that we need to be able to bring that childlike exuberance into church and it's something that i think even as adults we have but a lot of times we cover up we put aside for whatever reason and this is something that potentially could really benefit us moving forward is being able to embrace that about ourselves a little bit more so I think it kind of fits a little bit with where we're going this week because there is that inquisitive mind we need to be able to have when we're looking at text, when we're looking at science to be able to continue to move forward. So let's start this week with the All Saints text. The Old Testament text for this week is coming from Isaiah chapter 25 verses 6 through 9. This is kind of A short little section kind of talking about from Isaiah's perspective pre where we're going to get with Christ. What would it be like to be with God? That God is bringing out the finest wine that's been strained multiple times and can really wipe away the things of this world, the things that cause separation between us and God, the things that cause heartache, that God is there and is wanting to wrap us up and hold us and take care of us as we walk through those times. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 24. And this is then the reminder of how great that God would be is that this God is the one who established everything. The one who continues to keep God's self clean and continues to try working within our sinful bodies and yet still raise us up to become more than what we would be able to without God. And then in that, recognizing that it's the God of glory, the God that is so powerful, so mighty that that's the God who is doing all this. The New Testament test or the second reading is from Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 6a. And before we really get into this text a little bit, there's a couple things we need to recognize here. One, it's revelation. It's a revelation to John, which is an apocalyptic type of text, which was very popular at the time of John writing this. This was something that was very trendy at the time, if you want to put it that way. And in that this is a book of great hope, not necessarily a book of laying out exactly how things are going to happen, but was trying to give Christians hope in a time of control from the Roman Empire. And so being able to use language to be able to incite wisdom to the people of that time, to be able to like, oh, this is hopeful. This is something that God is still in these times. So when we're getting into verse 21, it's that reminder of how God is going to come back. And that in that, there will be a renewing of the world, what we understand of it. And that when we then are meeting God and we're with God, there won't be tears. This will be a beautiful thing and that it's going to be that God is there from the beginning to the end, the Alpha and the Omega, all at the same time. And it's this beautiful thing that it's really hard to wrap our heads fully around, but that's partially God in and of itself. The gospel text for All Saints Sunday is John chapter 11, verses 32 to 44. This is I think is a really fun and interesting text in a couple ways. It's the raising of Lazarus, if you've heard of this story. A couple verses before this, Jesus gets word that Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus is sick. He kind of waits around for a couple days. And then we pick up here in verse 32. Jesus arrives and and you have Mary is just kind of disheartened, potentially angry, potentially just sad. Like, where have you been? Why haven't you been here? If you've been here, you probably could have saved him. Verse 35, we get a very human side of Jesus that Jesus begins to weep. And people around him then are questioning, like, who is this guy? Like, he was able to do all these making the blind see and why didn't he then prevent this man from dying. And I feel like verse 39 is kind of a transition in this text from the mortal human side of Jesus to the divine side of Jesus, where he asked to have the stone moved away. He walks in and even with the stench, because it's now been four days, which in the typical Jewish culture, the spirit leaves after three days. And he calls Lazarus to come out. Lazarus comes out and Jesus says, unbind him and let him go, which could often be looked at as a text of Letting the word go out would be one potential symbolism, especially out of John's gospel where there is a lot of symbolism within the text. Four, if you are doing the 24th Sunday after Pentecost, the semi-continuous Old Testament text is from Ruth chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 and chapter 4 verses 13 to 17. I'll attach a video down below that I think summarizes the book of Ruth really well, but quick summary. So first, Chapter 1, we have Naomi, and we get introduced to Ruth and Oripa. Ruth and Oripa are the daughters-in-law to Naomi. Naomi loses her husband and her two sons. She says, you guys can return to your home country. There will be more opportunity. Oropa takes her up on that offer. Ruth says, no, I'm going to stay with you. Chapter 2, they are figuring out how they're going to feed themselves Ruth meets Boaz, and Boaz kind of makes an agreement to make sure that they are getting fed. She comes back, tells Naomi. Naomi says, that's a relative of mine, and in that culture, that if something happens, that's the person that's supposed to marry so that there isn't widows. So Ruth would be potentially in line. So they're setting up a plan. That's where we pick up here in verse 3. Ruth kind of then goes to Boaz and at the threshing floor and asks then would you take her hand in marriage in a lot of ways. He responds with yes. In chapter four, then we find that they're kind of doing the official ceremony. They found that there is somebody who is in between that before Boaz could potentially take Ruth and finds out that she is a Moabite. And decides that that's not what he is interested in then. And then Boaz decides, nope, the Lord will continue to bless this and I will take her in. And this is where at the verse 17, we get that there's the birth of Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. So it's essentially King David's grandfather is Obed. So Boaz and Ruth are his great-grandparents. So, just a cool little historical piece, but a really cool story of faith in a different way there. The psalm that goes with that text is Psalm 127. And this, I really like the first couple verses here, talking about how unless the Lord is in what you're doing, it's in vain. There's nothing that is of value that you are doing. So, in all that we do, what we should be raising up whether a youth or as adults that the spirit of the Lord needs to be within you to do whatever that you are doing. The other Old Testament text that it could be also used is first Kings chapter 17 verses 8 to 16. This is where you have the prophet Elijah coming into a new town into Zarephath. He finds a widow outside who is gathering some sticks And after hearing from the Lord that there's going to be someone, a widow there to feed you, he asks first for some water. She kindly provides that. He then asks, do you have some bread that I could have? She responds with, I'm just gathering the last things for my son and I to have our last meal before we die. Elijah reassures her that make me a little cake too. And the Lord will continue to provide for you until he sends rain upon the earth. And so they do. And until there was rain, there kept being enough there for this widow to be fed. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 146. This, again, ties into the idea of a praise psalm, praising the Lord with your whole soul and that you're singing praises your whole life long and how it continues to be This provider and this one who helps in times of need, but also recognizing the creation, recognizing and giving justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry, that this Lord is all-encompassing and watches over the stranger, upholds the orphans and the widows, by the way the wicked he brings to ruin, and that this God shall reign for generations." The second reading or New Testament text is from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. This continues on that theme that we've had in Hebrews the last few weeks, that here you have Christ coming as the Prince of Peace to be offered on behalf of us, and it's not something that needs to be done over and over and over again. That Christ died once for our sins, and the second time is not coming to deal with our sin, but to welcome us into the next phase of life, to put it that way. The gospel text that ties in with this is Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. Jesus is teaching and is calling out the scribes, the Pharisees, and how they have these long, elegant prayers and that they have great offerings that they put into the treasury as they go to worship. And he pulls out that there's this widowed woman there who has two small copper coins worth a penny and drops them in. And she has contributed not out of her abundance, but out of her poverty and everything that she has, all she had to live on, she gave in this place. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug boom oh. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to make sure that I'm not too far off base and to give me some additional ideas on how to look at these texts. So if you haven't checked out WorkingPreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. But I'd also check out the lectionary from the library at Vanderbilt.edu. I really like being able to look at the art along with having all the text laid out beautifully well together to be able to look through. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from the library at Vanderbilt.edu or Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend checking out both of these resources. There's a lot to go through here, a lot to consider, a lot to think about. So let's first start a little bit here with what is All Saints. All Saints is the recognition of... The saints who have gone on before us, the people of the faith who have gone on before us. And this is in the traditional church, typically a time where you are recognizing a lot of the people who have passed away over the last year. Also, it's also a time that usually there is some type of recognition of all the people who have been baptized into the family of God in the last year. So it can be a very somber part of the service where you're reflecting back with excitement about the baptisms, but also somber with the deaths and people who have passed on in the last year. And so you're having this text of renewal, in a lot of ways, on how, sometimes how we perceive things, how we're looking at things, how we're interpreting things, needs to be revised, needs additional wisdom, needs more time. Jesus coming to Lazarus when he's perceived fully dead and gone, and yet he comes and raises him up again. And as a person, a Bibli- a scholar, there's so many questions that you wish that were in here. Is this the new body of Lazarus, where there is no pain and all that that we get out of like Isaiah and out of we get out of Revelation? Also, is this the new body that we have been promised, or is it a just a resurrection? In quotes. We don't know. We never get that information. Does Lazarus die again? We don't know. It's one of those questions. And when we're looking at this for the 24th Sunday, it's, yes, God providing, but it's also us being open to looking for the subtle things, the little things, the people that we overlook, the things we overlook to be able to understand something deeper. And I think for both of these texts, there is a great example. And that is the study of mule deer and pronghorn in North America in the Grand Tetons area. Why? It's one of the more interesting migrations that we have especially for mammals, it's about a 150 mile migration that both these animals will make that we as humans have made it this difficult migration up and down mountains across streams, even more difficult with adding in highways and fences all over the place. But it's a migration route that now parts of it are federally protected, parts of it have been completely modifying human structure that 30 years ago we didn't know about so as this has kind of evolved and it kind of evolved a little bit independently have kind of come together pronghorn they realized that there was something going on there were certain times a year that suddenly you were seeing more pronghorn death and they were noticing ones hung up on fences more getting hit by cars And then they started doing GPS collaring on what they assumed to be a fairly stationary group of mule deer and started realizing that they too have this about 150 mile route that they travel. And over the last 20 years, what has happened is, yes, like I stated, making it a federally protected parts of this, especially where it narrows and trying to even create animal overpasses or underpasses so that they can pass through without disturbing our new modern infrastructure that we interrupted theirs initially. Why is this important? What is the point of all this? What am I trying to bring out? We had to be observant. So to look at the Pentecost, the 24th Sunday after Pentecost text, Look at the people that we're dealing with here. We're dealing with Boaz, a kingsman, a person who is supposed to be then the next person to potentially marry off in Naomi's line. And we find out there's a person in between, but yet he still stays dedicated. And even as he's looking over his fields in chapter two, which is omitted, noticing Ruth in and of itself and realizing that, yes, we can provide here for this person. That realizing in that, that whatever we do, we need to be doing it with the Lord in us, embedded in us, so that it's not done in vain. Realizing that, yes, God will provide, not necessarily just us when we're going out on mission, but also when we're staying at home when we don't know how things are going to end up. The orphan widow who, yes, helps Elijah, but is also wondering, how are things going to work for me? That God continues to still provide for this person that isn't even named. Hebrews continuing to reiterate that you are valuable, that Christ came for you on your behalf already. And that here we often get caught up in these big grand things. These big grand gestures. And yet 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we didn't know about a mule deer, which is a fairly large land mammal, and the fastest land mammal that we have here in North America, the pronghorn, we didn't know about a migration route that they took. Talk about us being completely ignorant to what was going on. We didn't even know that they were doing this. And yet here Jesus is not necessarily, I think it's, yes, it's dependence that the woman has on the treasury here and on the church, but it's also Jesus recognizing her. Recognizing that she is giving not out of her abundance, but out of everything that she has. That she's not being overlooked. The value of being seen. Take it now from a different perspective. We have the text here of in the book of John of Jesus with Lazarus. We see the human side Of Jesus, But then the flip to the divine, the flip of how God continues to provide, God continues to help the wisdom that let's just read here a little bit from the text, starting in verse 41. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with straps of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Jesus stepping into the divine, stepping into the wisdom of the father, realizing that yes, he's heard. And yes, look what you saw and understood as dead. He is not dead. Now go and do Go and continue being who God has called you to be. How often we get caught up with this is what it is. These animals don't migrate. These animals don't do this. And yet this isn't necessarily what's going on. There's sometimes where there's more detail that we need to be able to pull out. We need to be able to see if God is really preparing this great feast for us and it's a renewal of us this king of ultimate glory, would we not want to notice every detail of that? That means that we have to be our eyes open to be able to see the details of things going on around us, to usher in the majesty of what we're looking to try to see. It's like when you enter, if you're trying to see in the dark, you purposely turn off the lights before you need to see so that your eyes can adjust to be able to see, so that your iris opens, so that you can see more light coming in. Compared to when there's a light on and you turn off the switch, that your iris then has to readjust and it takes a while for you to be able to see. We assumed, we understood Pronghorn. We assumed we understood mule deer, so we overlooked where they actually were at different times of the year. We overlooked then the effects that we were having directly on their migration, thus affecting them directly. Partially why the lands are federally protected is that is the only migratory route for pronghorn for the Grand Tetons, a national park here in the United States. If that got cut off, within years, the pronghorn would be gone. And that's one of the major draws for the area is to go and see this land mammal that can travel 65 miles an hour, the fastest land mammal in North America. We completely overlooked. And in these texts, it's amazing how often we're talking about widows or people, poverty, and yet we're overlooking them. We're overlooking the ability of what that can be. Look, Ruth, out of her poverty, out of being a Moabite, a non-favored person, she is the great-grandmother to King David, which we know is the line that gets drawn from Jesus back. What have we overlooked? That's your Twitter question for the week. What have you overlooked It's one of the things that's actually really good in science is one you are continuing to do papers and continuing to do analysis, that's why you have discussion sections and papers. And even into conclusions, you can start writing about potential further studies or being critical of yourself or what are things that you potentially overlook, but that's also why you publish them and have other people study it so that maybe there is something that... The original researchers didn't even think about that they're overlooking. That's why science is a discussion. You keep working on it. You keep going on it. You talk about it. You work through it. You may not see eye to eye on everything and that's okay. We keep trying to figure out what we can understand. What can we get more support for? But make sure we're not overlooking things in the process. We as humans have to remember we are not supposed to be overlooking things or people or a combination of thereof. It's hard in this life to not overlook things, but that's why faith is so important. Faith helps us realize how to take those steps forward so we don't overlook things and maybe for a moment have childlike exuberance about life in and of itself. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.